Angels are a fascinating topic, and yet with all the theories concerning them, how can we know what's fact and what's fiction? In his book called Angels, Dr. David Jeremiah uses scripture to help readers of all ages understand the truth about these agents of heaven. You'll receive angels with our thanks for a gift of any amount to Turning Point. And for a donation of $70 or more, we'll send you the angels set, which includes a book, study guide, and CD album. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Back in Bible times, it wasn't uncommon for angels to intervene for mankind. Do you wonder why that doesn't seem to happen anymore? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah takes a closer look at what God's Word says about the role of these heavenly beings in the realm of earth. From the series, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, here's David to share the conclusion of Guardian Angels. Well, we're having a good time studying angels and learning a lot about these angelic creatures. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I did this, what I realized is they're way more important than I thought they were. And they're way more involved now than I thought they were. And they care a great deal about what God has for them to do, and they do it uh, with uh, great excellence. And there's so much more about angels ahead of us. Next week, we're going to talk about the fallen angel, hell's angels, and angel and death. We still have the angel of the Lord, uh, the angels in Jesus, and the angels in you. This study on angels from Turning Point. And ladies and gentlemen, you can get the book on angels and have all this material, not only to review and uh, have on your shelf for questions you may have in the days ahead, you can get the book uh, just for a gift of any size during the month of November. Just send a gift and say, send me the book on angels. You can get the study guide and the CD package from davidjeremiah.org. You can get that from that particular place and have it sent right to your home. So we make these resources available when we go through these studies, and we want you to use them for small groups, for Sunday school, for your own personal uh, enrichment. It's there for you. We create them with you in mind to help you grow in your understanding of the Word of God. Here at the end of the week now is part two of Guardian Angels. Some of you are saying, well, Pastor Jeremiah, you said you were going to tell us if we have guardian angels, and I'm going to do the best I can. But I've researched this, and I've spent a lot of time on this trying to figure out, now, what should I say to these people about guardian angels? And I don't want to crush any of your dreams. I don't want to give you hopes you shouldn't have. But I want to tell you that in the Bible, there are only two passages that have anything to say about angels that would give us reason to believe we have guardian angels. One of them, it's in the 18th chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew 18 and verse 10. These are the words of our Lord. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Apparently, some of God's angels are assigned to stand ready before the Father to respond instantly to his command for protection and care over these children. Jesus calls these particular angels their angels, the children's angels. And that's why some people have used this passage as their proof text to say, this passage proves that everyone has their angel. These children had their angels and we all have our angels. The other passage that teaches, apparently, that we have guardian angels is 
one to which we have already alluded in the book of Acts. Now let me tell you a little bit about this and then show you what the scripture says. This chapter records Peter's miraculous deliverance from prison. And the record, as you know, is clear that when Peter was delivered from prison, the first thing he did was he headed for Mary's house because all of his friends were at Mary's house having a prayer meeting. And guess what they were praying? Oh God, please deliver Peter from prison. Peter comes to the door of Mary's house and he knocks on the door. And a servant by the name of Rhoda came to open the door. And in Acts chapter 12, verses 14 and 15, we read these words. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. And they said, now watch this. No, it is his angel. And so from this passage, a lot of people, along with Matthew 18, 10, make the assumption that everyone has their angels or his angel. And that's where we get the doctrine of guardian angels. Now, those are the only two passages that I'm aware of that even allude to the idea of guardian angels. Now, having said all of that, let me give you a little bit of the other side of the story. Because while there are many who would swear by the fact that everybody has a guardian angel, there are some who are not so convinced. And some very reputable people that I have read and studied who don't really believe that guardian angels are a part of biblical truth. One of these men is a very respected theologian by the name of John Calvin. And here's what he had to say about guardian angels. It's very interesting. He said, whether individual angels have been assigned to individual believers for their protection, I dare not affirm with confidence. Specific angels have been appointed as guardians over kingdoms and provinces. But we ought to hold as a fact that the care of each one of us is not the task of one angel only, but all with one consent watch over our salvation. And this is what I thought was great. And if the fact that all the heavenly hosts are keeping watch for his safety will not satisfy a man, I do not see what benefit he could derive from knowing that one angel has been given to him as his specific guardian. Indeed, he said, those who can find one angel, the care that God takes of each of us are doing a great injustice, both to themselves and to all the members of the church. Did you hear what John Calvin said? He says, no matter what you believe about this, you're a winner. That's what he's saying. If you believe you've got a guardian angel, according to Matthew 18 and Acts chapter 12, great. Go ahead and believe that because there seems to be some evidence for it. But if you're not convinced you have one guardian angel, what you have to do is fall back on the promise that all the angels in God's creative world are responsible for you and they're all going to take care of you. So if you want one, and of course that's part of our materialistic culture, isn't it? We don't want to rent an angel. We don't want to lease one. We want an own one, right? We want one that's got our name on it. Isn't that true? So if that's where you are, you can have your guardian angel. But if you're not convinced of that, then let me tell you, the rest of the story is all the angels in the whole universe care about you. And if God wants to dispatch them all, he can do it. Now, I don't know which one I believe. I just think either one of them is great. Isn't that true? That God's angels care about us and they can intervene in our lives as they are called to do. In fact, it's interesting as you read the scripture there are many times when more than one angel was involved with one person. Do you remember when Elisha was holed up in the city of Dothan and the whole Syrian army was after him? God didn't just send one angel to deliver him. He sent a whole host of angels, looked like an entire army of them. And there is real good evidence in Luke chapter 16 that it was several angels who carried Lazarus' soul to Abraham's bosom. 
And when Jesus was confronted in the garden, you remember what he said? If I want to, I could call for 12 legions of angels and they would immediately come to my defense. So maybe we shouldn't just confine ourselves to the fact that one angel cares about us because the Bible certainly teaches that on some occasions, many angels were involved. I need to tell you, because some of you have asked me privately, and I'll just say it publicly, no, I have never seen an angel. And you know what? If I go to my grave and I never see an angel, I'll be all right. It's no problem. If God wants to intervene in my life in such a majestic and marvelous way so that I have a chance to see an angel, that'll be wonderful. But I'm not going to rest my hope of heaven and my security of salvation on whether I see an angel. But I've been thinking about this a lot. If you were to see an angel, what kind of a situation would you expect to see him? Some of the stuff I read to you from that ad in the newspaper is so far out in left field, you can just discount that. The angel doesn't really care about your financial success. He's not going to come and give you a good feeling about yourself. That's not really the issues. But there are some incidents in the Bible, and I just want to go through them kind of as a little grocery list real quickly, that give us some idea of the kinds of situations into which angels might normally interject themselves. For instance, I think there's evidence in the Bible that when we are in times of confusion, angels might be sent to direct us. Acts chapter 11 and verse 13, we read these words of Peter. He said, and he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. In this situation, an angel was dispatched into a time of confusion to give direction. And I have been reminded over and over again that when angels appear in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, they seem to be bent on giving instructions. Matthew 1, 20, an angel says, fear not. Matthew 2, he says, arise, take. Matthew 11, he said, send. In Matthew 27, the angel stood by Paul at night. Here's some more of them. In Matthew 2, 13, the angel says, arise and flee. In Acts 10, the angel sends. In Acts chapter 8, arise and go. Angels seem to be, in some special way, particularly geared to give instructions. And you know what? That's at the very core of who they are as individuals. Because what does the word angel mean? The word angel, at its very basic core meaning, is the word messenger. An angel is the bearer of a message. And the interesting thing about the scripture, and this again separates biblical angelology from much of the craziness going on today... In the Bible, angels are never sensationalized. They are sent, they give their message, but the messenger is never more important than the one who sent him. And the interesting thing is they don't stay around for the applause. They come, they do their work, and after they've done what they've come to do, they disappear. They don't stay around to get laud and applause. So different from the modern concept of angels that we read so much about today. So sometimes when we're in a time of crisis and we don't want to do, God might send an angel to direct us. Secondly, in times of crisis, God might send an angel to strengthen us. And I have to appeal to the Lord Jesus in this regard. You remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane? And he went through that awful period of time, which I'll tell you what, I don't know any theologian who truly understands this. What did Jesus mean totally when he said, God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. We have some ideas of what that means, but we don't know the full impact of that, and we never will till we get to heaven. But one thing we do know, it was the most agonizing moment in the life of our Lord before the cross. The Bible says he sweat drops of blood at that moment. And when it was all over, when he was finished, listen to this, Luke twenty-two forty-three. 
Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. Isn't that a great truth? When we're in the midst of a crisis, when the involvement between good and bad, righteous and unrighteous is great, and the war is intense, God just might dispatch an angel to strengthen us. Here's the third thought. I don't know all that this means, but sometimes in sickness, they assist us. There's a passage in John chapter 5 that tells us that an angel went down at certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Have you ever understood that? I don't know what that's all about, except that God used an angel to bring healing into the lives of some people who got into the pool first. What that all means in terms of today's medicine and healing and all that, I don't know. But I do know this, that it's possible that angels might intervene during times of sickness. And all the stories that I've heard about angels and that I've read, and I must have 15 or 20 books on angels now. Where do you suppose they most often show up? At the hospital. Isn't that interesting? I would say if you took all the stories you could read and put together, the most often found place where angels appear seems to be at the hospital, where sickness is an issue. And then when we're in times of despair, they encourage us. And I want to tell you this little story real quickly, because if I don't tell you the story, you won't get the point of it. It's a story in the Old Testament about Abraham, and I'll tell it to you quickly, and some of you will remember it. You know, when Abraham was getting very old and God had promised him a son and he and Sarah were wondering where the son was going to come from and when it was going to come. And it was going to be quite a miracle because she was so old and so was Abraham past the days of childbearing. Sarah got impatient, remember? And so she came to Abraham and she said, Abraham, we're not ever going to have a son, the two of us. Why don't you go into Hagar, who's a younger woman, and you give seed to her and we'll have a son by Hagar. Abraham resisted, I think, but finally he did it and started a family feud that hasn't been solved until this day. Do you know what I mean? Ishmael was born to Hagar. And then in the providence of God, even though they had violated God's provision, God blessed Sarah by opening her womb. And she gave birth to Isaac, the promised son. And I've never quite understood the nuance of this because it's a very interesting fact. The Bible tells us that Sarah got very jealous And she couldn't look upon Hagar and Ishmael without being angry. And one day she just had it with both of them. She told them to pack up their things and she kicked them out of the house and sent them packing. They had nowhere to go. And when we next meet Hagar, she's out in the wilderness. She's in the desert. She's all by herself, just her and her son. They've got no future. They've got no hope. They've got nothing to hold on to. It was the most desperate moment in her life. I can't imagine what she must have felt like. And in Genesis 16 and verse 7, we read... Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And I thought to myself, isn't that like God? He meets us at our most desperate moment. And sometimes if we need an angelic intervention, God is able and willing to do that. And if you read the rest of that story in chapter 16 of Genesis, you will discover that Hagar was so overwhelmed by that angelic visit that she renamed the place where she was and she called it Thou God seest me. In fact, in literal language, what she called the place was, I have seen thou who seest all and who seest me. Hagar was so overwhelmed that God had seen her from heaven and had sent an angel to her at her weakest, most desperate moment to minister to her. And I'll tell you what, if you're looking for an angel, maybe that's the context in which he might normally appear when we're filled with despair. And finally, an angel of the Lord just might appear in a time of danger to protect us. And that's what many of the stories about angels are about. 
times of danger when angels intervene. L. Nelson Bell relates an incident that happened while he was in Shanghai, China. It goes back to the year of 1942. It was after the Japanese had won control of certain areas of China. One morning around 9 o'clock, a Japanese truck stopped outside a book room where Nelson Bell had often visited. It was carrying five Japanese Marines. It was half filled with old books and new books as well. The Christian Chinese shop assistant who was alone at the time realized with dismay that they had come to his shop to seize all of his stock, literally to empty his shelves of all the Christian books that he had made available to the Chinese community. Jumping from the truck, the Marines made for the shop door, but before they could enter, a neatly dressed Chinese gentleman entered the shop ahead of them. Though the shop assistant knew practically all of the Chinese customers who had ever traded there, he did not know this man. He was a complete stranger. For some unknown reason, the soldiers weren't able to follow him inside. They loitered around outside, looking in the large windows, but not entering. And for two hours, they stood around until after 11, and they never set foot inside the door. The stranger asked what the men wanted, and the Chinese shop assistant explained that the Japanese were seizing stocks from many of the bookshops of the city, and now this store's turn had come. The two men prayed together, the stranger encouraging him, and the two hours passed. At last, the soldiers climbed into their truck, drove away, never did enter the store. The stranger also left without even making one purchase in the store or asking about any items that were in stock. Later that day, the shop owner, Mr. Christopher Willis, returned, and the shop assistant said to him, Do you believe in angels? I do, said Mr. Willis. So do I. Could the stranger have been one of God's protecting angels? Dr. L. Nelson Bell, related to the Billy Graham family, always thought so. Angels sometimes come to protect us in times of danger. Guardian angels, one or many, but whatever you believe about this, my friends, there are two things you must not forget. And I want to end with these. Number one, guardian angels are not for everybody. No, I know some of you are saying they're not for me. I'm a Christian. I don't believe in them. I don't want anything to do with them. I'll just handle things myself. Don't eat any guardian angels. That's all right. But when I say they're not for everybody, what I mean is there is not one shred of evidence in the Bible that guardian angels have anything to do with other than God's people. In fact, Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? All of this gobbledygook you read in the papers and in the current magazines and all the other stuff about angels today, the first question you have to decide is when you look at the scene, is there any evidence that the people involved in this so-called angelic intervention, are they born-again believers? Because the Bible does not give any room for angelic intervention on behalf of those who don't belong to God. His angels are ministering spirits on behalf of those who are the heirs of salvation. That cuts... A lot of stuff out, doesn't it? That makes it easy for you to have some discernment about what you read. Angels are not for everybody. But here's the second thought, and please don't forget this. Angels could be anybody. Did you know that? Remind yourself of that verse that we studied in Hebrews 13. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you may have had an angel in your house already and you don't even know it? You may have had an angel intervene in your life and you don't know it. The writer of Hebrews says, don't forget to entertain strangers because someday you may do that and unwittingly entertain an angel. 
A good friend of mine by the name of Larry Libby has written a very colorful, picturesque book entitled Somewhere Angels. And it doesn't have a lot of copy and it has a lot of beautiful photography and pictures. But he has a little imaginary story in there that captured my imagination about this very point. And I want you to listen to what he said. Just imagine yourself sitting along some clear bubbling stream that comes chattering and singing out of the great heavenly hills of heaven. An angel walks up and sits beside you and calls you by name. In heaven, of course, that wouldn't scare you at all, but it might make you sit up a little straighter. Hello, sir, you would say. I'm happy to meet you. Oh, the angel might laugh. We've met before. Really? Well, then I'm happy for that too. But I can't remember when we met before. And the angel says, don't you remember the Monopoly game and the banana splits we had in your living room that November night back on old earth? You were so kind to me. You welcomed me in the name of King Jesus. Then you spilled your hot chocolate on my foot. But I didn't worry about it. I had two hotels on boardwalk and took all your money. (laughs) (laughs) Monopoly, boardwalk, bananas. What do you, oh, now I remember. Do you mean you're Mr. Matumbo, the African exchange student? Yes, I believe that's what you call me when you welcome me into your home. And now, my young friend, I get to welcome you into my home. Hmm. Well, that made it real for me. That we never know, do we? We might entertain angels unawares. God is not obligated to reveal them to us as who they are. So let us be given to hospitality. I conclude this discussion of guardian angels with this one more story to illustrate the point. This appeared in Guidepost magazine written by Yuffie Eleonardo. And this is what she wrote. It had been reckless of me taking a before dawn stroll through the tangled streets behind the Los Angeles bus terminal. But I was a young woman arriving in the great city for the first time. My job interview was five hours away and I couldn't wait to explore the city. It was my only chance. Now I'd lost my way in a skid row neighborhood and hearing a car pass, I turned and in the flash of light, I saw three men lurking behind me trying to keep out of the sight in shadows. Trembling with fright, I did what I always do when in need of help. I bowed my head and I asked God to rescue me. But when I looked up, there was a fourth man striding toward me in the dark. Dear God, I'm surrounded, I thought. I was so scared it took me a few seconds to realize that even in the blackness, I could see this man. He was dressed in an immaculate work shirt and denim pants, carried a lunchbox. He was about 30, well over six feet. His face was stern but beautiful, the only word for it. I ran up to him and said, I'm lost and some men are following me. I took a walk from the bus depot and I'm so scared. Come, he said, I'll take you to safety. He was so strong, made me feel safe. I don't know what would have happened if you hadn't come along, I said. I do, he said. His voice was resonant and deep. I prayed for help just before you came. A smile touched his mouth and his eyes. We were nearing the depot. You are safe now, he said. And he nodded. Goodbye, Yuffie. Going into the lobby, it hit me. Yuffie. He is my first name. I whirled and burst back onto the sidewalk, but he had vanished. He was gone. Do you wonder that I thought the fourth man 
was God's angel sent into my life. You know, there's so many stories about angels, and when I tried to go through them, I wanted to make sure that the ones I shared with you were stories of integrity and stories that really fit uh, the way God used his angels and does use them today. And these stories just are so encouraging to know that uh, if you're a follower of Christ, it doesn't matter whether you have an individual guardian angel, you have all of God's angelic hosts surrounding you. He doesn't just need one with your name on it. He can send the whole host if he wants to. And uh, that's way more encouraging to me than to think I've got my own special angel uh, with with my name on his uh, lapel. We, we have angels all around us. And uh, the, much of the music of Christmas uh, is about that. And many of the uh, the Psalms teach us that. And so take hope and encouragement that not only is God with you, it's Jesus promised to be with you no matter wherever you go. He's got a whole system around you, a system of angelic hosts taking care of you, and uh, you can count on him. Well, it's time for us to break for the weekend. Once again, let me remind you how important it is to be in church on the Lord's Day. Um, Priority number one for the weekend is go to church. Watch us on television over the weekend. Join us on Monday for the next edition of Turning Point. The message you just heard originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. How is God using this ministry in your life? Write and tell us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's book, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help, What the Bible Reveals. Uplifting and helpful, it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also view over 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's sermons on any screen on our Turning Point Plus streaming service for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue the series, Angels, Who They Are and How They Help on Turning Point. The rapture is God's promise that He'll return. If you want to learn how to be rapture ready, then be sure to order Dr. David Jeremiah's new book, The Great Disappearance. This fascinating glimpse into the next event on God's prophetic calendar is available for a donation of any amount to Turning Point. Donate $75 and you'll receive The Great Disappearance set. Donate $100 or more and you'll receive a three-book share pack. Get yours today at davidjeremiah.ca. Take the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. The inventor of the Polaroid camera, Edwin H. Land, lived by this belief. Don't undertake a project unless it is manifestly important and nearly impossible. His many scientific inventions prove that he lived by that belief. Christian leader John Haggai had a biblical belief that is similar to Land's. 
Instead of undertaking things that are nearly impossible, he said to attempt things that are impossible. Haggai said that Christians should attempt something so impossible that unless God is in it, it is doomed to failure. In other words, we should live by faith, beyond our abilities, giving God the opportunity to demonstrate His power, His grace, and His resources. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's resources on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.